0: Welcome to Decisive Point, a U.S. Army War College press production featuring distinguished authors and contributors who get to the heart of the matter in national security affairs. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the podcast guests and are not necessarily those of the Department of the Army, the U.S. Army War College, or any other agency of the U.S. government. Decisive Point welcomes Major Ryan J. Orsini, author of Economic Statecraft and U.S. Russian Policy which was featured in the summer 2022 issue of Parameters. Orsini is a U.S. Army infantry officer assigned as a student at the Command and Staff General College at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. He holds a Master of Public Policy degree from Georgetown University. Ryan, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for joining me today. Let's talk about the U.S., Russia, and economic statecraft. Please lay the groundwork for us. What is your working definition of economic statecraft for this scenario?
1: Thank you for the question. Thank you for having me. So, put simply, economic statecraft is the use of a nation's economic means pursuit of either geopolitical or domestic goals. That's everything from trade policy, industrial policy, sanctions. It's a big bucket. Now, here I address a small portion. So, I'm speaking specifically the U.S.-Russian dyad and a particular spot on the conflict spectrum, the gray zone, the space between peace and war. Really, I'm addressing two fundamental questions. First, how Russia uses its economic means, both licit and illicit, to sort of punch above its weight class and garner international influence, extracting these gains despite U.S. deterrence policy and overall advantage in economic means. And then I ask, what can the U.S. do to leverage the economic instrument and really achieve the coercion it desires? So I put forward the policy recommendation of domestic coordination, international cooperation, and translating transparency.
0: Well, let's break it down. Walk us through them. Let's start with domestic coordination. What needs to happen here?
1: So U.S. economic statecraft, it often lacks unity of effort. Its authorities and its resources are spread across branches of government and the interagency. What does this look like in practice? Well, first, its organization. Identifying a lead agency or task force. There are lots of options. I propose some. But really, this agency serves a couple critical roles assessing the changing Russian vulnerabilities to U.S. economic leverage over time, evaluating the effectiveness of U.S. policy over time, and ensuring that coordination across the interagency of the statecraft. Second is priority. Unlike in the defense community, there is no overriding document. There's no national defense strategy guiding the economic tool. And also, it's about economic lines of effort. For instance, in this new era of great power competition, how do we prioritize counter-authoritarian influence operations versus counter-threat finance? These are guiding principles that can really help guide the overall economic instrument. And finally, it's process, creating the legal mechanisms that the interagency can use to enforce anti-money laundering in the modern age to protect both privacy and access to data that it needs to be effective on today's global stage.
0: International cooperation. What does that look like in your plan?
1: I'm looking in particular since the 2014 Crimean crisis, and if you look in the snapshot the U.S. economic statecraft has often lacked the broad international enforcement or has failed to maintain it over time. And ultimately, this dilutes or nullifies intended effects of economic statecraft. So what does this look like? Really, it's working with like-minded international bodies, political, economic, intelligence agencies. And the key is to work within the current overall Eurasian politic. So I offer a mix of positive and negative economic inducements. We often forget that economic statecraft is also positive inducements how to prioritize sanctions and sanctions relief. And ultimately, the big goal here is to align the incentive structures and build resilience for other states from Russian influence.
0: Your final point was transparency. And I need to point out it's not just about dollars and rubles exclusively. This included Bitcoin, Instex, the central bank digital currencies, and you also mentioned the U.S. Anti-Money Laundering Act of 2020. Can you walk us through this part of your plan?
1: So data might not quite be the new oil, per se, but it really is the key to understanding Russian influence, as well as how effective American statecraft can be against it. And you offered a bunch of mechanisms by which Russia can exploit these blurry legal and financial structures, and that starts here in the U.S. We have a myriad of anti-money laundering laws that help define beneficial ownership across economic transactions. I point to plenty of potential legislation or legislation that is is in execution right now. And why is it transatlantic? Well, the hub of international finance still runs a lot through New York City, London, and Brussels. So at end state, it's about building actionable attribution and accountability. And these mechanisms within the international community, we can really garner a lot of influence just within our like-minded partners.
0: Before we go, do you have any final thoughts?
1: Knowing the readers of parameters, I'd like to bring this idea of consolidating gains to making temporary advantage enduring. And, you know, there is a non-military aspect to the American way of war. The economic tool usually shapes and usually translate advantage into some enduring outcome. But we often build it around a military action. I'd encourage the listeners, wherever you are in the interagency and whatever instrument you are a part of, think about how your piece can support this economic tool. It's not normally how we think of it, but in a world where deterrence is really our largest contribution, it may be how we focus going forward. And this is a place where Russia has had success. It's a playbook that they can bring off the shelf and utilize. And so pending the results of ongoing conflict, it's something they might likely go back to. It behooves us to look at this environment and shape it while there is a policy opportunity here now.
0: Thank you, Ryan. Listeners, you can read this article, Economic Statecraft and U.S.-Russian Policy, To get details about how Russia exploits strategic asymmetries to gain advantage in the space below armed conflict and how the United States can modernize its economic statecraft, visit press.armywarcollege.edu. Look for Volume 52, Issue 2. If you enjoyed this episode of Decisive Point and would like to hear more, look for us on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and any other major podcast platform.